Loving God, loving people. Welcome to Shiloh Church in Oakland, California. Here's today's message from Pastor Jules Moore. The title of my sermon is called Leftovers uh, because we're in a series called Blessed. And I felt like sometimes God blesses us so much that you get some leftovers. Amen. How many guys know there's just some foods they are just better when they're left over? You know, that spaghetti, you get that big old pot, that witch's brew of spaghetti. And then Monday, Tuesday, it's okay. But Wednesday, how many guys know that's the best stinking spaghetti you could have in your entire life? All them juices just marinate in that. And so we're going to talk about leftovers and how God provides a blessing. And really what I want to do today, my challenge is, is to tweak the way that you interpret what it means to be blessed. I think we have a broken definition of what it means to be blessed because the world understands blessed in its own terminology. I'm way up. I feel blessed. They have this whole ideology of what blessed is, but they don't know God. So how can you occupy a position of blessing and not know where the blessing is coming from? And if we're not careful, even as Christians today, you can have that same definition to call yourself blessed, but not have God just because you're in church. You see, many times the way that we interpret blessing is by possession, that I got possessions, I got material, I got things, I got things worthy of you double tapping on my images. That's how blessed I am. And so because I pull up in church in a Ferrari and my, my doors open up like wiggle things to, you know, talk about the scripture or if I show up on a bus pass, how am I blessed? You see, to define blessing, you got to understand who God is, because the way that we define blessing really speaks to how we view God, how we interpret what God is, who he is, what he does and what does God bless. And if we are recipients of being blessed, how should our lives look? Is it just more things or is there more to that? And so we're going to look at a couple of verses of scripture in first Corinthians chapter 10. There was a group of people who were really blessed. They were Christians. They were the church of Corinth. They loved God, but they were kind of wilding out. They had got brought out of darkness, but that darkness was still in them and in the house of God. They were getting caught up in all kind of sexual stuff and doing all kind of weird stuff, but they were really fervent. They were really passionate about the things of God. They wanted to prophesy. They wanted to speak the word of God, but they did not have a maturity because they didn't recognize what it meant to serve God in the context of the church, of the people that love and know God. They misinterpret what blessed was. And so because they had some encounters, they had some spiritual experiences, they automatically started to rise up in pride and they started to do things in their own strength and their own will. They started to associate themselves in temples that worship demons and partake of food that was to worship idols and to worship demons. And Paul says, wait, 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 you're blessed, but I think you're misinterpreting what you're to do with the blessing of God. You're free. You're brought out of sin and darkness, but you're misinterpreting that freedom and how it needs to be used and how people are to view that, that when you've been blessed, you've been brought out of darkness into God's light. Not only is your relationship your responsibility, but you look at the people around you and you say, how can I be a blessing to you? What do I do in my life? Is that going to cause you to stumble or is that going to cause you to step closer to God? And he says, Paul. I want you to be blessed, but we got to look at our ancestors, the people that were the most blessed by the presence of God, and they missed it. They were in the presence. They knew God. They knew about God. They had all of these possessions, but they totally blew it. First Corinthians chapter 10, this is what Paul begins to break down. He says, for I would not, brethren, have you be ignorant that our fathers who were all under the cloud, under the presence of God, and all passed through the Red Sea. 
and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual food and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of a spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And so what Paul is saying is this in the the story of Moses, when he freed them out of Egypt and they literally passed through the Red Sea, the sea divided from right to left and it created walls of water and God's people walked through and total miraculous deliverance. Paul is saying this was symbolic what Jesus would do in the New Testament, that Jesus would set us free from the bondage of sin and shame. And when we get baptized in the waters, it is like us walking through the Red Sea, leaving our bondage behind and following Jesus into deliverance. And he says Jesus was there when they left Egypt. He was the rock. That when water came forth, it was because of him. And when Jesus was on the cross and they pierced his side, blood and water came forth, giving us life in the middle of a desert. And Paul is saying, these guys were blessed, but they missed it. He said, how about, oh, my translation just changed. I don't know how that happened. I went into ghetto Ebonics translation and that did not work out all right. It says this, verse five. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Out of millions of people, only two made it into the promise. So Paul is being a little funny here. He's like, most of them didn't make it. Millions of them died in the desert, and only Joshua and Caleb were of the two original that were able to cross into the promise of God. He says, these things happen as a warning to us so that we would not crave the evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual morality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did. And then they died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did when they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live in the end of age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Paul begins to bring clarity to the church of Corinth because he wanted them to understand how were they going to be, how were they going to manage this blessing? How were they going to walk out and complete the will of God? And he reminds us today, thousands of years later, he reminds us in California, in Oakland in 2017 to be careful that we don't misinterpret what it means to be blessed by God. What does it mean to walk in God's presence and his pleasure? You see, the nation of Israel, they had the presence of God. Other nations would stop and look and say, what is going on? There is fire that is hovering over this group of people. That's the presence of God. There was a cloud that they would follow and people would say like, oh my God, literally, I want that to be my God. Because if that's the kind of God that can set people out of bondage and bring them into freedom and walk amongst them, they are blessed. But much like us, the Israelites, they they misinterpreted their blessing. A month later, after they just got set free from bondage miraculously, it says in Exodus 16, what did they start doing? They started complaining. God! Did you leave us out here to die? 
A month later, 30 days later. God, you left us. Because when we were in Egypt, oh, life was so much better when they were beating us and knocking our teeth out and kicking us in the ribs. And they, they, they violated us. But it was so much better because we had meat, God. Oh, we had filet mignon and ribs and little riblets, God. God, you provided these great things and we appreciate it. But God, where's the meat? And God says, what? I'm, I'm right here with you? And, and I'm not enough? You know, later on today, you're going to have an option when you leave this building. You're going to go out and you'll be like, hey, what are we going to eat today? And in your refrigerator, there's probably some amazing delicacies that you had over the Thanksgiving break. You know, you got pasta. Somebody brought, they brought some green bean casserole. You threw that out because they should have brought macaroni and cheese like a good civil Christian. <laughs> you got turkey that somebody didn't spend hours on or they bought it from Costco, whatever came first. You got all of this beautiful food right in front of you in your refrigerator, tight, tightly packaged up in these little Tupperware dishes. But you're going to come to this defining moment, baby. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? And you'll spend an hour and a half trying to figure this out. That's a whole other sermon. But you have this amazing food, and now it's just leftovers. It's just leftovers. And people come over to your house in expectation of those leftovers. They come in, and they bring tinfoil, and they bring suitcases, and they package their food. They take all the food, and they leave your house, and they say bye, and they didn't even bring a salad, a dip, a chip, nothing. But they got their leftovers. And the crazy thing is, which was once exceptional, which was once amazing and something that, that caused awe in you, so now it's just leftovers. They actually did statistics on the American people, and they say that people will throw away over 144 million pounds of perfectly good food simply because in their mentality, they believe that leftovers just isn't as good as it used to be. That you can have filet mignon in your refrigerator, but because Burger King is right around the corner, you will opt out for the convenient more than what is the exceptional. And the nation of Israel began to do the same. God begins to put in his word that literally they would have manna. They would have, literally, God would provide bread for them every day that they needed. Like cornflakes from heaven would come down. And they were great. Manna provided by God, and they would have to get up every morning and gather the manna, and the manna would only last for a day. The next day it would deteriorate, and maggots would be in it, and every day they had to go and literally be provided by God, that God was blessing them, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. It's just leftovers. And I believe that there was something that God instituted in the nation of Israel that if we can go back and uncover and, and actually redeem and see the importance of it, it will tweak the way that we view blessing and it would cause us to live a life not only of joy, but the blessing, the life more abundantly that Jesus calls us to have. And so this morning, I want to challenge the definition of blessing. Let's pray with this. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that, Lord, you open our ears to hear you and we ask that you would bless 
this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when it comes to blessing, blessing, when a biblical view of blessing is really of, of two aspects. When God would bless someone, it means that he would put his favor, his pleasure would be upon them, his hand would be for them, that they would be able to do miraculous things that they couldn't do in their ordinary ability because they were blessed. God's pleasure and his presence would be with him. And as a byproduct, many times because of the blessing of God, they would have financial prosperity or provision and their possessions would begin to increase. Abraham, for instance, he literally begins to serve God. He's obedient. He's following God. He's not knowing where God is going to take him, but he says, I trust you. And God begins to bless him. God's pleasure is on him. God's presence is with him. And he begins to get blessed even to the point where his cattle begins to grow. His food system, his economy begins to, to, to blossom overnight. His family becomes prosperous, so prosperous that he has to separate and go and find land that is big enough to just inhabit him. But guess what? When it came to sacrificing his son, Abraham realized that it was not about the possessions. It was about pleasing God. And that out as as of a byproduct of pleasing and walking in the presence of God, we are blessed. Therefore, he begins to bless aspects of our life. But we can get it tweaked and twisted because if we just believe that it's just about possessions, when you walk down your grocery aisle, you see what possessions get to those that are rich and famous. That just because they have more stuff doesn't mean they're more blessed. And in our American version of Christianity, we can fall into the same trappings of the church of Corinth and also of Israel because The presence of God can be right here in front of us and we can be so dissatisfied that we want the material things. We want the created rather than worshiping the true creator. How could the nation of Israel that literally saw the fire like God, the presence of God was there and available every day they woke up? But it wasn't enough. And I wonder if there's any similarities that we come into this building and we gather and we see people worship and have these spiritual experiences with God, but then they leave their lives and they still have the same pursuits and aspirations to accrue wealth and status and popularity of the world. See, our idols may not be statues dedicated to to things that we can see. Our idols may be our ideologies, the way that we think and the way that we process and interpret information that we begin to put our values above God's values. It's idolatry. And Paul says, if you look at what happened to Israel, which one do you want? Do you want to be blessed just with possession? Or do you want to be blessed with his pleasure and presence. If you answer honestly, that shows you if you have a broken view of what it means to be blessed. You see, I was thinking about this. In my house, I am the snack king. Anybody that needs a snack, they come through me. I am the guard of snackage. And my daughter knows this. Every morning she wakes up and she comes by my bedside. She says, Daddy, wake up. I need a snack. No, please. No, thank you. No, Heavenly Father, I am at your service and at your disposal. May I please partake of the bounty that you have brought into our lovely home. None of that. Wake up. Get up, Negro. Give me a snack. That's what she says. 
And I started to catch on. I would wake up and I said, all right, baby, let's go get a snack. And we would go in and say, my daughter, I love you so much. Let, let's evaluate our pantry. We have Oreos. We have pretzels. We have chips and Cheez-Its and little fishes. Mm, they're so delicious. I mean, we would just go through and get snackage going. And she would eat a snack. And then she was like, daddy, 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 please, I need one more snack. Of course, me being a sucker, God's Jehovah Jireh, I was just roll over sucker. I mean, that's kind of like I'm providing for her. And I would give her a snack. And when breakfast would come and I would spend so much time cooking breakfast or whatever, making sure she got the right balance of protein and all of this stuff. She's like, I don't want no breakfast, but I'll take another snack. <laughs> and why don't you go give me another one of them Rice Krispie treats you so cleverly bought for me. And so many times Christians interact with God the same way. They want the byproduct of his presence, but they don't really want God. They want the snack and the treat of financial prosperity and God providing for your needs. But they don't realize the most incredible that they need is for their soul and for their spirit, which is the presence of God. The essentials is blessed. These cats in, in Israel, their clothes would not fade. Their shoes would not wither. And they literally were provided by the hand of God. And it wasn't enough. Just leftovers. And so when Paul begins to break it down, he says, here's an indicator. Here are, here are ways for you to realize if your view of blessing is broken. The thing, first thing that Paul says is this, is that when you never have enough, you have a broken view of blessing. He says, look at the, look at Corinth. You guys, you, you, you think you need more. You keep going and thinking that you have this freedom to do whatever you want to do because the presence of God is with you and you want to go eat at the same table of demons and idols. This is not cool. You have to know that the cravings of your flesh, that is third, fourth, fifth. That is the least of this importance. The most important thing is, is this, not you pleasing the cravings of your flesh, but are you pleasing God? And what you find as pleasurable, does that cause your brother to stumble? And if so, it is better for you to stop doing that to help them grow in God so that you can both please God. But you know that you have a broken view of blessing when you feel like you never have enough. How many guys shop for Black Friday? Come on, raise your hand. You don't want to. You're like, he's going to bust us out. I know he's going to cuss us out in Jesus' name. I'm not going to cuss you out. It's all right. But I fall, fell into that same trap going on to Amazon and seeing what I can get for a killer deal. And on Black Friday, I said, baby, we need a new TV. I need a bigger TV because we got a bigger living space. And you know, my wife would add it. We need a bigger couch to accommodate the bigger living space, to accommodate the bigger TV, to accommodate my bigger booty. We need all to accommodate all of the bigness that is happening. Because we never have enough. And that that inability to say no to our flesh is a slippery slope. The inability to say no to your gut when temptation or desire comes forth. If you can't say no to your gut, you're not going to say no to the butt. You have an inability because you've allowed your desires to consume your life. You've allowed the fleshly pleasures of this world to be the main thing that you're viewing and focusing on. And Paul is saying you have to be careful because you can be blessed by possessions and also possessed by them. Because they can drive you and motivate you. And if you find that your pleasures are unchecked, guess what? It will lead to idolatry, just like the nation of Israel. 
They seen the presence of God. They worshiped the presence of God. But the moment that the man of God was gone, they began to substitute God for an idol that they can control. A God that would reflect their needs being met in something that they can control. Your job can become an idol. Your family can become an idol. You can be so concerned. We got to get him to baseball practice, football practice, soccer practice. Get him to Kubo so he can be a sumo, so he can do this and do that. And you get so fixated with making sure that your kids are in every single system and every single sport and every single time. But do they ever get a moment where they get to worship God and actually learn who he is? Because you get so fixated on making sure that your family is a reflection of success but you may just have a broken definition of what blessed really means. These ideologies, and for the corn church, they begin to walk in idolatry because their stomach, their views of how they interpreted God became an idol, and they kept drifting further and further away from the pleasure of God. And Paul says, not only did they worship idols in Israel, you have to be careful, church of corn. But he says, they begin to fall into sexual morality. Because they couldn't check their cravings, they begin to worship idols. And what happened? Sexual morality began to break out. And Paul is saying, this is what's happening in the church as well. People get caught up in their fleshly desires and then they begin to interpret it that this is right, this is okay, that I can come as long as I lift my hands and I give a little bit in the offering bucket, I'm blessed, but I can do whatever I want to do with my bodies. And the Bible says that your bodies belong to God, that your body is not used for sex, but that your body is used for worship. And when you come in and you just say, well, I'm just going to give my bodies to whatever it needs to, whatever it feels like, because I'm just tempted. I I don't know how they do it as Christians, but I just have an overly sized sex drive. But Paul says your temptation is no greater than the temptation that they struggled with. But what happens is we get confused and we justify our temptation. We're no longer serving God. We're serving ourselves. Your bodies were used for worship. And when we give our bodies, whether it's sex or whether it's pornography or whether it's imagery or whether it's status, what we're really doing is we're giving God our leftovers rather than giving him everything. And Paul says, you have a broken view of blessing if this is something in your life. The second thing that we see, Paul begins to break it down. He says, you have a broken view of blessing when you fall into the nation of Israel. And you find yourself consistently comparing and complaining. Now, just raise your hand if you're a complainer. Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, I didn't want you to really raise your hand, but that's awesome. You guys are honest. These people really love Jesus. The rest of y'all, no, I'm just joking. But what happens is the nation of Israel, no matter how much the presence of God was available and accessible, it just kept complaining. No, it's not good enough, God. God, I don't know what you're doing up there. God must be slipping. Jesus, can you tell God to like get it together? I don't know what those angels are telling you, God, but what you've given me, huh, that's not good enough. What happened is the nation of Israel, they began to compare their life to what it used to be to where it was now. And they began to shift and they began to glorify the shameful and wicked things and the broken system that they were involved in became more glorious than the presence of God. 
When you start to compare your life, it's like, wait a minute, my life is not looking like theirs, or my life is not looking what it used to look like. It seems like it's harder, it's more difficult. Guess what? Walking in the blessing of God doesn't always mean it's easier. But what it does mean is this, that your life is now pleasurable to God, that God is with you. And even though it may be difficult in the beginning, don't forget, he is the God that parts waters. Why would you want to go back to where they used to beat you and call you out of your name, and they made you shake something again? something and it made you do all of these things when now you have the presence of the living God that is available and in your life how dare you say that you're not blessed Jesus says a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miracle because they were more concerned with the blessing rather than being consumed by the blesser of God. That if he's there, guess what? Miracles are going to happen because that's what he does. But when we're chasing a miracle, when we compare our lives to that which of the world, then it begins to give complaint. That's why you go into KFC like, y'all didn't find my chicken right. I'm going to file a complaint. Where's your manager at, you little hussy? You file a complaint. That's why if you go into a court of law, there's a plaintiff. Because what that is, they're bringing accusation of someone's failure or someone's inability to perform what they said they were going to do. So when you come in to God and God has blessed you and you begin to complain against what he's done and who he's brought in your life, maybe your husband or your wife or the nappy-headed kids that he's given you, whatever you begin to complain about, what you begin to do is this. You begin to accuse God that he's incapable of being God and that you should be able to fulfill that role. And the nation of Israel, that's what they did. They began to accuse God. God, you've just given us leftovers. And how comparison begins to move to complaining. And it's amazing. When you start to complain, you just find friends. You didn't have nobody like you. Nobody liked you. But the moment you start saying, oh, I don't know about that church anymore. I don't know about that Javier. I don't know about them. I don't know about my wife anymore. I don't know about my kids. I don't know about these things. The moment you start complaining, you just get friends. They start complaining with you. Oh, you're right. I don't like them either. Finally, somebody agrees with me. Oh, you don't like your boss? Oh, me neither. I don't like him. Plus, that toupee is all sloppy on the top of his head. Somebody need to tell him about that. The moment you start to complain, you start to acquire friends you never knew you had. And then you start to complain together. And then you start to create a coup. And that's why there's like First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fifth Baptist galaxy of the intergalactic angels and the missionary church. Because somebody just complained really well and they got enough people to agree with them. And they said, let's do this the way that we want to. And you know what happened to the nation of Israel? They got caught up in their complaining. And God says, oh. Let's just keep walking in this desert. Oh, I'll I'll still bless you even while you're in the desert. That's the crazy thing. His presence was still there. Though they were in confusion and in sin. But they were disabled from going into the promise. See, complaining will get you stuck. And God, because he's a faithful father, is still willing to provide. But he knows as long as you don't trust me, because that's what complaining is. It's an inability to trust God for who he is and what he says he is. 
God says, I'm going to lead you out of bondage into a promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey. And they complained along the way. And millions were stuck and died. And only two entered in. Why? Because their confession magnified God, spoke about God, declared the goodness of God. See, if you're not careful, you can bring complaint and comparison into your family, into your life, and it can cause you to look at the blessing of God in a very skewed way. Where you start looking at people as they're just leftovers. You start looking at your job, this is just leftovers. It was exceptional then, but now it's just leftovers. You could do this in your marriage. You could have married a prime rib of a woman. No pun intended, but you know, evils are written. I'm just joking. I totally make this stuff up as I'm talking. But just go with me on the analogy. You could have married someone that was great, but because of your skilled perspective and your broken view of blessing, what was good and perfect then is now painful and just enduring. And that's what happened to the nation of Israel. The presence of God was there, and they missed it. Paul says, I don't want that for you. So how, how do we redeem our broken view of blessing and broken view of God? Well, God instituted it in the beginning. He said, when I lead you out of bondage, I'm going to provide for you. You need food, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to give you manna. And literally the frosted flakes from heaven would come down and they would scrape it together. They would make bread. But what would happen is the next day it would totally rot. But on Friday, God said, on Friday, I want you to gather together enough manna that will last you two days. And that will be called the Sabbath. Because on Saturday, I don't want you to work. Saturday is a day that's holy. It's dedicated to God. How many guys love your Saturday? He was like, I'm going to put on pants on Saturday. I can just do whatever I want to do. <laughs> but the Sabbath was not to encourage laziness. It was to cause Thanksgiving. So God would say, don't work on Saturday. From Friday evening to Saturday evening, do not work. I want you to stop. I want you to acknowledge. And I want you to appreciate and what he was saying, I'm instituting something in your life that literally is marked up. It's on a calendar that you're to stop and acknowledge God and be like, wait a minute. Did we not follow fire out of Egypt? Did we not have the living God spring us out of death and hell and destruction? Did we not see God part waters and our feet walked on dry land? Did we not see God provide bread from heaven every time we had a need? Did not God not only provide enough, but there was some left over. I wonder when that boy that gave his leftovers, the bread and the fish to Jesus and how he multiplied it. I love that verse of scripture because it said there was still some left over. You see, something, it's not blessed of what you got. It's, it's blessed where you got it from. When God blesses you, even if it's the most idiotic, ridiculous, God uses the stupid things to confound the wise. And someone said, hey, I want to give you a used pair of shoes. Uh, what size are they? 
What color are they? Where they're from? Them Gucci? What are they? What are they? But if somebody said, I want to give you a pair of shoes that Steph Curry wore on game six. Hey, bro, give me them shoes, please. Give me them shoes. Can I please have them shoes? What you want me to give you for them shoes? Because it's not what you got. It's where you got it from. That's why every good and perfect gift comes from God, the Father of heavenly lights. In him, in that gift, there's no shifting or shadow. That means when God provides, when God gives you manna, not only is it good and it's perfect, but it can even last you. The nation of Israel had everything that they needed to get them to the promise. But because of their complaining heart, they never walked in. They didn't need to hunt. The food came to them. Before there was DoorDash, there was God. God brought food to them. But because of their mentality, because of their voice of complaining, they just got stuck in the desert. So the Sabbath, the Sabbath was a way to stop, acknowledge, and appreciate. You know, for a California Christian, we're the most hustling people, not even Christians, just California, period. We got transit systems and just people are always doing something. People just never just stop. You never people just like, what are you doing? Sitting no, I'm, you're running around. We got Uber, we got Lyft. You could just be lifted and come to church. You just, you could, people are always doing something to make more of something. But what if we were to bring back the Sabbath? Not condone laziness, but a moment where you just stop, close your laptop, you silence your phone, and you just say, God, I acknowledge you right now. <laughs> I've been, I've been, Just looking at your feet, but God, you're a lot bigger than the last time that I saw you. And we begin to appreciate. That's why it says through all throughout Psalms, David would be going through hell and he would begin to complain unto God. He wouldn't complain to people. He would complain unto God. And before he knew it, because he began to measure his complaint, he began to measure a situation to the bigness of God. For some reason, and miraculously, it would turn into Thanksgiving. Then in the presence of God, complaining when it's dealt right, lifted right, it turns into thanksgiving. And Paul would say, God, my enemies are against me. But you know what? They've been against me this whole time and they haven't killed me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You make a table before me and my enemies. Whether you give a day or two hours, but you need to institute a moment where you stop you acknowledge and you appreciate. I mean, this rocked my world. I, I was studying for this and the Holy Spirit began to convict me. And he says, man, you, you haven't been looking at your wife the right way. Because just even in marriage, you start looking at your wife or your husband or your spouse. You start looking at what they do. Oh, I, I love her for being a mother. She's awesome being a mother. I love her for being a partner with me and working with me and dealing with my craziness. But somehow those two roles had elevated beyond her just being the love of my life. And when I stopped and I began to to acknowledge her, like, dang, girl, where you come from? That that purple headscarf, girl, you killing that purple headscarf right now. You ain't got no makeup on? You lying, girl. What have I been 
doing? Start to wake up from a coma, and then you start to appreciate, you know what, girl? You the one, girl. About to renew my vows right now. You see, you start doing that, you start living like that. Then you start changing the way that people view marriage. Because when you know you have the blessing of God in your home, you don't have to start looking for blessing elsewhere. When you start to acknowledge what you have right now, when you start to appreciate that, that's why the principle, I've never understood it, that God cares more about you being a good steward of what you got than you just being a confessor and a hand lifter and a song singer. That if you can't appreciate what you got right now and you want to be blessed, how is God going to bless you with more? Maybe it's not that God doesn't want to bless you with those things. Maybe you just couldn't handle them if he were to give them to you. Imagine the nation of Israel. They were to go into the promised land. They couldn't have walked through Jericho. I'm like, these walls are big. We don't even have walls. We got tents. But complaining gave a twisted and tweaked projection of who God was. But stop, acknowledge, and appreciate. Put the Sabbath in your life. Even today, I think we should come down to the altar and literally have a moment, a sabbat, where we just stop, we just acknowledge God, and we just begin to thank him. I want you to bow your heads right now in this moment. We need a Sabbath for our soul. You need a Sabbath for your marriage. Some of us in this room, we haven't gone on a date. And we say because we can't afford it. That's not true. Go for a walk. Take a sabbat, a, sab- a Sabbath, a sabbat, where you stop and you acknowledge what God has given you. Some of you have been in arguments with your kids, and your kids have been arguing with your parents because of your inability to, you know, I don't want to end with this, but I have a, I have a frustration with Christians when they say that I'm fasting social media. I don't think that's fasting. Jesus didn't say, I'm not going to tweet today, I'm fasting. No, what he did is he starved his flesh. He said, I'm not going to go with my, my, my physical cravings to be, to be pleased by food. I'm going to put the plate aside that I can focus on God, that my flesh can die off. But I do believe that you can Sabbath from social media. To where rather than acknowledging all of these other voices, are you acknowledging the voice of God? Right now in this room, maybe you just need to acknowledge God in your finances. Maybe you need to acknowledge God, what he's done in your family. Maybe you need to acknowledge God, what he's done in your life, how he brought you out of shameful and wicked things. And maybe there's even been a temptation to want to go back to those things. Temptation is not wrong. It's what we do with temptation. 
But I promise if we stop and we acknowledge him and we begin to appreciate, we begin to give thanksgiving, we begin to project the truth and the accuracy of God, not what we feel is a deficiency, but for who he really is, it begins to create faith. And faith is the only way that you can please God. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Jules Moore. We invite you to join us at Shiloh Church for worship, prayer, and the message of God every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or watch us online at shilohchurch.com.